Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. And uh, we say to ourselves, we don't want to repeat ourselves because look at all this stuff I have to say. But it's not really about what you have to say. That's really not the point of ministering. It's not the point of preaching. It's not the point of pastoring. I should, sorry, 1 Corinthians. It's not the point of anything is you getting out your favorite sermons or proving how much you know. If that's why you get up and preach, you need to sit down for a while, right? But there is something inside of us that says, you know, Lord, we preached about this two months ago. We preached about this three weeks ago. If I repeat myself, they're just going to think I don't know anything else. Thank God I'm over that. And I'm not worried about what people think. But uh, we're not going to preach something that we preached a few weeks ago. But we're going to come back to a scripture we've come back to. This is the third time around to hit this scripture and a section of scripture. And I believe there's a reason for it. I believe that it's God that's leading us this direction. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about overcoming. Um, and, and you maybe change your definition of what that looks like. Because I think overcoming, when we think of overcoming, we see the end result. Um, a lot of us aren't considering what it takes or what overcoming really looks like. We just kind of see the end where you're getting a, a wreath on your head, like the gold medal on your neck. You know, we've been seeing some athletes overcome, right? And you've been seeing them uh, uh, go through some stuff that looks hard. I mean, race walking is the weirdest thing to me, looking at it. just looks like a bunch of people that have to go to the bathroom. But... My goodness, I feel, I feel lazy when I watch them because I see how they push through. And you see our own Canadian athlete there, uh, Dunphy, you know, how he pushed through even though he was struggling with cramps and everything. And you just think, wow, this is, this is something bigger than just, you know, uh, a quick five-minute race. This, this is something that took dedication. And, uh, you know, it's not wrong to look at the Olympics and draw parallels because uh, the Apostle Paul drew parallels from the original Olympics. He said in the games, here's how we compete. In fact, the famous Hebrews 12, that, that wreath that we're competing for, that race that we're running in is compared to something that they could understand at the time. But I want to bring us back to 1 Corinthians 16, and we've been there before. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about what doors look like, open doors, a door of opportunity, doors of utterance, doors of faith, and how important that is that we, we look for and perceive when God opens a door. And um, I think we covered that pretty good, but we're going to hit it from a different angle today. It is important that in your life you're looking and observing where God's doors are, which ones are open to you, which ones he's opening, in fact, which ones you need to pray that they'd be open. You know, the Apostle Paul said, pray for me that a door would be opened, a door for the word would be opened. Now, that's interesting because that means that he had to have some idea that God wanted him to minister in a specific place, but he still needed people to pray that a door would be open. Now, we could say, well, if God wanted the door open, God would open the door, right? Doesn't that sound reasonable? If God wants it open, God will open it. But God has put many things that are within his will and he's given many of those things a, a responsibility to the church to pray through, a, a responsibility to walk it out, a responsibility to speak, a responsibility to do. There are many things that God said, this is my will, now go do my will. 
And so there are times where God has the, has the plan and the purpose for a door to be open, and yet we've got to pray that the door would be open. We've got to pray that we'd recognize that door. And in your own life, there are times where you say, I don't know which path to take. I don't know which door to go through. I don't know which, I'm at a fork in the road. I don't know which way to go. And so often, especially amongst Christians, unfortunately, we, we try to discern the will of God by which way seems to be clicking easier. And there are times, guys, let's just admit, there are times where things click that shouldn't have clicked, and we say, God's hand is in this. And I think that's a good thing, right? I think it's good to perceive that God's hand is on something. Wow, this person said this right when this person did this and this thing came together. I mean, that is, you know, when you perceive that, that's, that's a wonderful thing because you see God at work. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the road of least resistance is the will of God. In fact, that's rarely the case, isn't it? And we have to get out of the mindset that we're looking for the path of least resistance. Because when we do that, we're not showing our faith in God. We're, we're really, we're really kind of uncovering our own fears, our own um, maybe desires for things to work out the way we want them to work out. And so many times through life, we're looking and we come to those forks in the road and we choose the direction that looks like it has the least obstacles and the least resistance because we say, well, maybe God has paved a way this way. But as we read in 1 Corinthians 16, that's not always the case. Paul says this, and let's start um, in verse 7. He says, for I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is doing, that he is with you, without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as also I am. Now, listen to what he says. He says, I'm going to stay. He says, I want to come see you, if what? If the Lord permits. How's the Lord going to permit him, do you figure? How, how do you think he'll know if the Lord is permitting him? Sure, you know, he'll know because he can hear the voice of God. It's the same way he knew that the Lord did not permit him to go into, you know, into Berea. He, the Lord did not permit him to go preach in Asia Minor. How did he know? He said, the spirit of the Lord forbade me from going. Did the Lord send an angel and block his path? No. Did the Lord send bad guys to cause him trouble? No. What did the Lord do? He said, don't go. You see, if we can't hear the voice of God... Then, then you, you do find that there's more drastic things to get your attention. God's design and God's plan for you is not that you would be led around by circumstance, but that you would let, be led by his spirit. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. What did he say? He said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep follow me. Why? Because they hear my voice. They know my voice. He said, I call them by name. They come out. They follow me. I call them by name, I call them, they follow me because they hear my voice. A stranger's voice they will not follow because they don't know the voice of strangers. It's important that we understand that the way God wants to lead you around is not merely by you just looking around and seeing if the circumstances line up, but by you hearing the voice of God. Now it's good to see, like I said earlier, there are times where things fall into place and you realize only God could have done that. But that, that doesn't exempt you from listening to the Spirit of God. 
right? Because look, Paul says there is a wide door for effective service. Can you imagine a better door to walk through than that? A wide open door. Picture for a minute what a wide open door looks like. What does a wide open door look like? You know, I would think a wide open door, this is how I would imagine it, if I'm not thinking spiritually, if I'm just thinking off the top of my head, if somebody were to say there is a wide open door in this community, what would that look like? To me, I would think that would look like everybody saying, hey, come, greetings, we want you here. Everybody saying, look, it's a wide open door, we all want you. Come, you are welcome here. That sounds like a wide open door, doesn't it? But what does he see in Ephesus? There are many adversaries. He didn't see a bunch of people saying, come, 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 you're welcome here. He saw a bunch of people that said, leave. We don't like you and we don't like what you're preaching. That sounds like a closed door, doesn't it? But not according to this. A wide door for what? Effective service. Wouldn't it be nice that when you walk through a door, what you do actually makes a difference? Back to the Olympics metaphor, remember Paul said, I don't want to just run just for the sake of running. He says, I don't want to box as if beating the air. You know, some, I mean, come on, we're in 2016. There's more people boxing beating the air than actually boxing, right? <laughs> they're, ex- they're boxing exercise video, you know, or they're we or whatever, you know. There's more people beating the air than actually in a boxing ring boxing. But Paul said, I don't want to waste my time punching the air. I, you know, you got to realize this. When you punch the air, you are still expending energy. And there are Christians all over the place. And I don't, I'm not judging anybody because that's God's business to deal with them. And I've been this Christian at certain points in time that are keeping themselves busy. And they're busy and they're busy and they're busy. And they might even be busy doing things that seem like the work of God. But they're just punching the air. Nothing's getting done. He says, I don't want to box as if I'm punching the air. I want to hit something. Well, how do you know? How do you change from hitting the air and hitting something? You've got to listen to the voice of God. You've got to know where he's directing you. You've got to go through the doors that he's telling you to go through. And he says here, a wide door for effective service. When I go through this wide door, what I do is going to make a difference. And I believe that effective service is not just what we would think is effective. I think it's what God sees as effective. The world sees success in in a very small, narrow definition. This is what success looks like. Do you have large crowds of people following you? Are your bank accounts overflowing? Do you have, you know, everybody saying that you're doing a good job? But God's version of success is, were you obedient? Were you faithful to what I told you to do? Because we know that there are missions he'll send you on where it doesn't seem like there's anything getting accomplished, but in the kingdom of God, great things are being accomplished. A wide door for effective service has opened for me. There are many adversaries. Now watch what he says about Timothy. He says, bring Timothy with you without cause to be afraid. Why would Timmy be afraid? Timmy might be afraid because he's afraid people won't accept him because of his age. Or he might be afraid because he's going to a place where there are many adversaries. But he says, Tim, there's no cause to be afraid. Listen to that. You might say, of course, there's a reason to be afraid. But he says, no, there's not. There's not a real reason to be afraid. Why? He is doing the Lord's work. And when you're doing the Lord's work, what do you have to be afraid of? What's there to be scared about? 
You know, I believe that God has created us. That Christ, Jesus has paid the price for us to live a life that overcomes, to be overcomers. But let's just think about it. How can you overcome if there's nothing to overcome? Right? If you continually take the path of least resistance in your life, the path that seems like it has the least amount of obstacles, that's not an overcomer. That's just an avoider. Right? That's a draft dodger. I don't mean to put it so harshly, but that's what you're doing. And I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm not thinking of anybody in specific. I'm just preaching to you about what God has said to us as believers through his word that you don't look and say, I have two choices in life. Which one's going to work out the best? You look and say, what is God's will? What is God's plan? Where does God want me to go? Now listen, you can flip this around. There are some people that just think that if they're not suffering, they're not doing the right thing. And guys, they'll always pick the hardest route. The hardest route's not always the right route. God's way is the right way. And when God's way, when you're following his path and you're listening to his voice, though there are adversaries, you are an overcomer. You don't see those hurdlers get here and go, who put these blocks in my way? How can I run when there's things I have to jump over? Can I have a special lane with no hurdles? That's part of the, that's part of the deal. You got to have something to jump over or you're not a hurdler. If you want to be an overcomer, you have to at some point face something that you have to overcome. Now listen to me. You don't have to go looking for trouble. You seek the will of God. You seek the plan of God. I, I never understand people that go out looking for, spoiling for trouble. You know, just follow the will of God and somebody will try to stop you eventually. You don't need to look for it. You don't need to invite it. What's wrong with you? You didn't see Jesus do that. You know, he, he didn't go around like picking fights with people, but they found him. <laughs> he did do some things that seemed like he was picking a fight, didn't he? Every now and then, but that was just Jesus. That was Jesus really caring about somebody's heart. And so he went, wanted to dig a little bit deeper. And some people don't like when you dig deeper. I want, you, I want you to see something in the book of Revelation, which is something you might be familiar with this verse. In fact, I hope you are. Um, how many of you have spent some good time in the first three chapters of Revelation? Have you studied that out? You really should. You should read the whole book. But, you know, sometimes we're intimidated by the whole book because we don't understand it or because it scares us. Start with the first three chapters and read those over and over again. Because the three chapters are Jesus, the first three chapters are Jesus writing letters to the church. And you might say, well, not my church. I don't live in Ephesus. I don't live in Pergamum. But he says, let he who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So we're supposed to hear that. Those words are in red just as much as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is in red, Right? So dig into it. It's got life in those verses. It's powerful. It's going to bless you if you read it. The Bible says you blessed is the one that hears this. But one thing in common, every seven of those churches, some of them he had um, some real points of, of, of uh, he had some real issues that had to be addressed in the churches. Some of them, it was, you know, a couple of them, he said, you've done everything right and I'm with you. Most of them, he said, here's what you've done right, and here's what you need to fix. But in every single one of them, 
at the end of every single letter, he says something about the one who overcomes. To the one that overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the house of my God. To the one that overcomes, I'll give him some of the secret manna. To the one who overcomes, I'll give him a, a seat next to mine. All of these things. Sometimes when I read those, I have to be honest with you, sometimes when I read those, I go, God, I still don't know what that means. What do you mean, secret manna? What do you mean I get a seat next to you, like a throne next to you? Like, what are you talking about? One thing I do know, he has designed us to overcome. Every single one of those churches, no matter what their situation was, no matter what their city was like, no matter what their church was like, every single one of them, Jesus offers an opportunity, overcome. Here, be an overcomer. To the one that overcomes, here's a prize. This is what I'm going to give you. And by the time we get to the middle of the book of Revelation, now here's the thing about the book of Revelation, is that John is taken up to heaven to see this. And it, no, it does not happen in linear time. That's the most confusing part of what everything he's seeing. I mean, at one minute, he's seeing the future. Another minute, he's seeing uh, 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 something that's happening in the heavenlies, which is talking about, you know, this, this woman with a baby, and the dragon tried to kill the baby, which you can easily understand is, is, you know, somebody trying to kill Jesus when he was a baby, but it also has other implications. And so if you try to read the book of Revelation like a linear timeline, you're just going to get frustrated. God does not live in a timeline like that. Like, for God, he's not waiting for 2017. He's there. He's also in 2013 and 85. Like, he's without, he's outside of time. And I know anytime we think about that too much, like, we feel like something's going to explode or we're going to pop a brain cell or something. So when you read the book of Revelation, you're like, well, who's he talking about? Are there people after he comes back or the people before he comes back? Well, let's just read what it says and let the Spirit minister to you, okay? Here's what he says. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 says, There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. Now, let me just tell you, anytime we start reading this stuff, there are people that sit on the edge of their seat like, oh, finally, we're talking about dragons. <laughs> it's about time we talked about dragons in church. And then there's other people that just check out. You can see it on their eyes. They check out. Oh, man, we're talking about dragons. What does that have to do with my... You know, I, I, do, I weld during the week. What am I supposed to do about dragons? Like, come on, guys. Let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us through his word, right? The dragon and his angels waged war. They were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So listen, this is not the point where Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. He's thrown down to where? The earth. So we're living in this time right now, aren't we? Where Satan is still roaming around doing his deal. Deceiving people. Opposing the people of God. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, it's always good when you hear a loud voice in heaven, saying, now the salvation 
and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Well, hang on, man. I thought you said the dragon was still on the earth. But he says, now, now the kingdom of God has come. Now the authority has come. It's so interesting to see what Jesus said when he was casting out evil spirits. He turned to his disciples, and this is before he went to the cross. He said this, now the ruler of this world has been judged. Now it's happened. We're living in that. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. And verse 11, and they, who? The brethren, brothers and sisters, the people of God, they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. There's a lot of history contained in those verses, and I'll leave that to you to sort out later. But what I want you to see right now is this. They overcame him. You see, this isn't the point where the enemy's thrown, thrown out of the earth and thrown down in the lake of fire. This is the point where the enemy is right here, right now. But the people of God overcame him. You know, when I read about a great dragon, it doesn't sound like something I want to overcome. But it says the people of God overcame him. How? Because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Now, we just think of testimony now as like your life story. Right? My testimony is like, okay, it was sad at first. It always has to start out sad. Sad beginning. Epic climax. Good stuff. That's the testimony. Right? It is, you know, that's the classic timeline that you have to go through. It was really rough. Maybe it starts out kind of good, like my grandma told me about Jesus. But then it got really bad. Then it got good. There's my testimony. And I think that's great. And I'm glad that you tell your story. And I think you should. I don't mean to belittle it. I think you should. In fact, I think it's one of the most powerful weapons we have is to tell of the goodness of God. Tell how we've been rescued from darkness into light. Whether or not you grew up in a church family or whether or not you grew up in the pits of the darkest places, either way, you talk about what God has done. That's good. But... That's not what he's talking about when he says the word of their testimony. He's not talking about they told their life story. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and telling their story to soft country music in the background. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What was their testimony? It was what they said about Jesus. It was what they proclaimed about the gospel. It was what they said about the cross and the resurrection. Their testimony was the word that they were standing on, the word that saved them, the word that delivered them, the word that made them righteous when they were accused by the accuser of the brethren. They overcame him because of the blood of Jesus and the word of their testimony. You got to make sure that what you're saying about yourself and about him matches what he says about himself and you. Because that's how we overcome. 
want to remind you that, that, that as we look through the word, if you were to do a search on your Bible and you were to look up every time it says overcome or overcame, especially in the New Testament, you're not going to find instances of somebody who is just stronger than someone else. You're not going to find somebody who has more willpower. What you're going to find is people of faith. People who trust in Jesus. And this is what the Bible says in 1 John. How many of you know 1 John 5? 1 John 5 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. This is the victory that has overcome. We have to understand that our overcoming is tied to a past overcoming. That our overcoming is tied to his overcoming. Jesus said to his people, he said to his disciples, listen, there's going to be trouble, but you be of good cheer. Take heart. I've overcome the world. I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, guys, don't worry about it. One of these days we're going to beat them. We're going to overcome. Come on, we're going to overcome. No, he says, I have already overcome. So you be of good cheer. What is the thing that overcomes the world? He doesn't say this is the victory that overcomes the world. Just be strong. He doesn't say this is the victory that overcomes the world. A loud voice. He says this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. That means we are fully reliant on his victory to be our victory. On his victory and conquering to be our conquering. His overcoming is our overcoming. If we can't live in that space, we will not see the result of that overcoming. Because we'll still be trying to make it happen. You know, I want to read you from Romans 8. Just go in a bit of a different direction. Just see what comes up here. Romans 8 is so rich, isn't it? Look what he says. Verse 31, and I mean, really, you need to go back and read the whole chapter, and you need to read the chapters before and after it too. But for the sake of time, we're going to start in 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What's he responding to? He's responding to not only accusation and condemnation, he's responding to adversaries, he's responding to trouble. And here's what he says. Guys, what shall we say to all these things? What things? What shall we say to all of the opposition. What shall we say to those that condemn? What shall we say to the trouble? What shall we say after we know that God has already prepared us for this? So what shall we say? If God didn't spare his own son, but delivered us over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So what in the world do you have to be worried about? He said, if God didn't spare his own son, what is he holding back? Do you see the point there? See, so many times like, God, you could just give us a little bit more, a little bit more voltage, a little bit more power, a little bit more of this, a little bit more. He's saying God didn't spare his own son. That's the most valuable thing he had. What in the world makes you think he's going to spare anything else? Why would he be holding something else back? I mean, come on, if Jared needed money from me and I gave him $1,000 and he's like, can I also have a loony? No. 
not a loony. You greedy man. I mean, that's my loony. That's precious to me. If I gave him $1,000, I think I can give him the loony. If God gave his own son, what in the world do you think he's going to hold back? How will he not also with what? With Christ, freely given us all things. In verse 33, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who's raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So nobody has a right to judge the people of God, but God. And he said he's already made his judgment. Then it says this. Well, let's read that again. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Man, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God, interceding, fighting on your behalf. You see, the point that he's making here is what in the world are you guys afraid of? Why are you shying away from an obstacle? Why are you shying away from adversaries? Why are you shying away from something that seems difficult if Jesus himself is interceding for us? Our victory is already walked out. It's already done. It's our job to just play this out. And look what he says here. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now, why in the world would he name all those things? These are all things he's had to go through to preach the gospel. It's not stuff God was doing him to him so he could learn something. It was something he had to go through because he needed to preach the gospel and people were doing this to him and to the people of God. They were suffering to preach the gospel. They had to fight. They had to go through something that wasn't easy to fulfill what God wanted to do. But he says, guys, in all this, it's never separated us from the love of God. I think that's a problem that we have. Sometimes when things get hard, we start to say, God, where are you? Or God, what did I do wrong? Like trouble is an indictment from God. Like somehow I must have done something wrong or else this wouldn't have happened. But what if there's an adversary that's trying everything he has to stop you from fulfilling the purpose that God's put in front of you? Do you think the enemy's okay with what you're doing? If he's okay with what you're doing, you're doing the wrong thing. Right? Now listen, God did not carve you out for defeat. He prepared you for victory. But you can't have victory without a battle, right? You know, we honor those veterans not because they dressed up in a uniform, but because they had to fight for something. (laughs) The great boxers are not the ones that have avoided the fights, but the ones that have been in the toughest. The ones that have fought the toughest enemies, they're the best. They're the ones we honor above all the other ones. Why in the world would we avoid it? when we have the victor on our side. Now, how does this come into your life? It comes into your life because there's going to be plenty of times where you look and you say, there's nothing easy about what God's calling me to do. But I see there's a wide door. How do I know there's a wide door? Because I know it through the Spirit of God. He has prepared a door for me to walk through. And on the other side of that door is effective service. So I don't care how many adversaries there are. I'm going to see victory because the victory is already done. Look what he says. 
what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? What can you do to me that will separate me from the very thing that gives me life? Will tribulation separate me from the love of Christ? No. Will distress? No. Will persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, any of that? All of this stuff is, this is people doing this to him. People who don't want him to preach this. People who don't want him to, 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 to fulfill the mission that God's given him. But he says, you know what, in all of that, nothing has been able to separate me from the very thing that saved me to start with. And then he says this in verse 36. Just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. If you have that verse on your refrigerator, there's something wrong with you. Right? We don't sing a lot of songs with that verse as the chorus. We were put to death all day long, sheep to be slaughtered. <laughs> right? We, we shouldn't cherry pick verses. Read the whole thing, it gets better. Right? <laughs> For your sake, we're being put to death all day long. That's just a downer of a verse, my goodness. <laughs> All day long. Like, he doesn't even say we're put to death every day. He's like, all day long. But look at this. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Here's the cool part, guys. That overwhelmingly conquer is one word. It's a compound word. It's a word that doesn't even need to be said. He could have just said, we conquer. But in front of conquer is sort of the Greek word that we, we get our word hyper from. He's basically saying in all these things, we hyper conquer, we overkill, we super triumph. Wouldn't it be enough just to conquer? Guys, wouldn't it be enough just to win? I mean, who cares if you won by, you know, 10 seconds or if you won by, you know, 0 0.003 of a second. You won. But he says, we overwhelmingly conquer. We hyper-conquer. We super-conquer. Guys, it's not even close. It's not close here. You have to understand that if we are linked in to the victor, if we're linked in to the conqueror, if we are connected to his love, there's not a thing in the world that is able to defeat the people of God. This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. So what do you have to throw at us? What charge do you have to bring against us? What attack do you have to bring against us that is powerful enough? No, we overcome the, the very dragon that the angels in heaven fought against. That's Satan that caused all this trouble in the world. We overcome him. We've overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Here's the thing. Your faith is the overcoming factor in your life. It is the victory in your life, your faith. It's not your strength. It's not your willpower. It's not your, you know, network of friends. It is your faith. None of this is about us being stronger than the other guy. This is all about us saying he has already overcome. Why is it important that we know that? Because it's important in the middle of the attack, in the middle of the battle, that you know your victory is just as sure now as it will be at the end. It's important that you go into the battle saying this is already won. You know why? Because when you believe that, you don't run away. When you believe that, you don't quit. 
When you believe that, you're not afraid to walk into a door that's got adversaries. I've got the conquer. I've got victory already. I've already won this. If God is for me, who can be against me? Well, in prayer for this morning, I kept saying to the Lord, why are we going down this path? I truly believe it's because God has called you. There are, there are some things God's called our church, and there's some things God's called you individually that are going to require you to choose not the path of least resistance, but choose the path that God has laid in front of you. Even when it looks difficult, you're going to walk into it. We've got to stop avoiding conflict and start looking for the plan of God and looking for the will of God. Avoiding conflict is not the way of Jesus. Looking for conflict isn't either. Listening to the shepherd is the way of Jesus. Remember, Psalm 23, the shepherd led them to green pastures, still waters. Hey, still waters. He didn't lead them to troubled waters. He led them to still waters. But the path to get there went through the valley of the shadow of death. Find a detour. Plug into your GPS. Avoid toll roads and the valley of the shadow of death. (laughs) Please. No, it's going right through the valley of the shadow of death. But what does David say? But I fear no evil. Why? Because I'm a tough guy. No, he says, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I am comforted not by the absence of, of trouble, not by the absence of anything scary. I am not comforted because I don't see any problems. I'm comforted because his rod is with me and his staff is with me. His rod that fights off the enemy and his staff that keeps me close and guides me. What are you comforted by? Are you comforted just by the fact that you can't see an enemy anywhere around? Or are you more comforted that though a thousand fall and ten thousand at your right hand, you fear no evil for he's with you? He's with me. That's why I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to walk into this. I'm not afraid to know I'm coming out of it. I'm coming out of it like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the furnace. I'm coming out of this because what could separate me from the love of God? Even if they took my life, they couldn't separate me from it. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony, and they loved their life. Loved not their life, even unto death. It is his life that we fall in love with. What happens when you love your life? You do everything you can to protect it. When your goal in life is to protect yourself, you lose. You will lose when you just when your goal is to protect yourself. You ever seen an athlete, ever seen a hockey player who's afraid of being injured? You watch how they play? They they you know, if if it's a if if two guys are going for the puck, they they back off. They don't want to get checked. They don't get in front of the net. Those guys are pretty much useless at some point, aren't they? They're too afraid of being injured. It's too precious. I want to say this again. And we said, uh, you know, the Lord kind of brought this to us a couple years ago. Some of you weren't there. Can we get out of our heads? Listen, when I say I'm in a battle right now, what do we think of? We think we're under attack. Are we mature enough spiritually that we can just think that Not every battle is one where somebody attacked you, that sometimes God is sending us on the offensive. 
What does he say? He said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan isn't bringing his gates to your gates and bashing them. If the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, it's the church that went to the gates of hell. We're on the offensive. So can we just stop believing that every time somebody's fighting a battle, it means that they were sitting on their couch and got attacked, and that sometimes we got to just move from the defensive to the offensive? Here's the deal. I'm trying to close, and I will in a minute, but here's the deal. When you're just fighting defensive battles all the time, you don't pick where you're fighting. You don't pick when you're fighting, right? I didn't pick to be attacked. I didn't ask to be attacked. It wasn't my decision. But when you start believing it, sometimes God has called us to take ground. God has called us to take ground in our city. And listen, we're not fighting people, are we? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're not picking fights with people. My goodness, we love people. They're our goal. But we are claiming ground, and there's going to be some kickback. Guys, we're doing an outreach a month on different communities. Don't you think there's going to be kickback? But we're on the offensive. The difference is, it's easy to be in reactive defensive battle mode because you don't have to pick when the battle starts. It just comes. But for you to get on the offensive, you need to hear from God. When's it time to move into this area? When's it time to take this ground? When's it time to start this? When's it time to move over here? When's it time to say this? You got to hear God, right? So many Christians, the only battles they ever fight are when they're under attack. But it's time that we move on the offensive. And we begin to take back what the enemy stole. And we get to begin to take back our families and our communities. We begin to take back some of the things that have been broken for so long. And guys, taking back our communities doesn't mean that we put all our force behind a political fight. Politics follows other things. You know, if people's hearts change, the government will change. That's just the way it is. Should you, be, should you vote? Yes. If God tells you for, to run for office, run for office. But earthly power has never been our source of power. Right? We're kingdom people. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you with this, that whatever's in front of you is much weaker and much smaller than the victory that is already behind us. Jesus has won. He has conquered. Don't live so preciously. Don't live fearful. Be brave. Be bold. Run into the battlefield knowing that he's, he's already conquered. He's already won. Let's listen to the voice of the shepherd. Let's look for the doors that he's opening. And no matter how many adversaries they are, we stand in the victory of Jesus Christ. Stand with me to this morning. Thank you, Jesus. God has not given you the spirit of timidity. Some translations say the spirit of fear. The reason my Bible says timidity is because it's a different word than the word fear or phobos in the Greek New Testament. It's a different word altogether. It's a word that means to be intimidated. It's a word that means um, somebody else is 
something or something, some, something or someone is intimidating you, making you feel like you can't or you're too small or you're too slight. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but he's given us a spirit of love and of power and of a sound and disciplined mind. Too often we allow ourselves to be intimidated, right? But that's not the spirit of God. If you find yourself intimidated, too intimidated to move, too intimidated to go forward, that's not the spirit of God. His spirit is a spirit of love. His spirit is a spirit of power. His spirit is a spirit that will calm and discipline and focus your mind. Get your mind under control. Why do we need that? Because it's your mind that causes you all that problems. All those problems, isn't it? It's your mind that gives in to intimidation. Thank God for the peace of Christ, which guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.